Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where it says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuses himself with mankind. I mean, Reuben fits somewhere in there. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed now. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The important point is not what you and I were. It's what God has made us and will make us to become. It's not that the Jewish people are righteous. It's not that they're righteous in themselves. Don't look for that. It's not that the sons of Levi are clean in themselves. Don't look for that. But what's important is what will become, what they will become, the sons of Levi. What's important is the work that the Lord is going to do on the sons of Levi when it says he will sit down and then something's going to happen to the sons of Levi. I meant to say Levi. It is Israel, Levi. And now I'm talking about Levi, just to confuse you. <laughs> if he would have said Israel, I would have said Israel, but he said Levi. So it's in Malachi 3.3. And how I know this? Because I went to Shigeko when she, she played the Messiah, and I heard her, heard her play, and they sung this, right? And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. See, it says there, the Lord's going to sit and he's going to do a work of refining. He's going to refine. He's going he's to sit. He's going to purify by purging out the dross. And that's what the Lord's going to do with the Jewish people. And that's what he does with us. And so what we see further, we consider how in verse 20 here, what name, what name is used to describe the man at Rachel's grave? You tell me. That's Jacob, right? Jacob set up a pillar on her grave. That was Rachel's grave, okay. Now, what's the name of the man who rose up from the grief of Rachel's grave and and journeys on to the promised land? It's Israel, right? All right. So we see here that God's not playing with you. God's just not, you know, trying to keep it interesting by mixing up the names here. He's got a point here. And so God wants to refer to the fleshly side of this man. He calls him Jacob. When he wants to refer to the spiritual side of this man, he calls him Israel. So with that in mind, how does God refer to the sons in verse 22? Whose are they the sons of? Jacob, the sons of Jacob. They're called the sons of Jacob. They're the sons of Jacob, we're 12. They're not the sons of Israel yet. 
They're still just the sons of Jacob. They'll become the sons of Israel, but now they're just the sons of Jacob. So we have their names here in verse 23 through 26. And in verse 27, after we get their names out, it starts with this word, and, okay? And it connects that. It connects the sandwich of these names there. The last, remember, it started the last part of verse 22, goes to 27, that little sandwich there. And the word, and, verse 28, it connects it. So this structure here, it leads us to see that Jacob is now presenting his sons to the father, Isaac. And so what does Isaac see? I don't know what he sees. He's probably blind at this point, but let's say he sees. Okay, he knows. What does Isaac know? He knows, he's, he, he understands his son Jacob is bringing these people. He's bringing his, his sons, you know, bringing his sons from a distant land. Wow, what a picture that is for us. That's a picture for us to see Isaac and Jacob as Jacob is presenting his sons to their grandfather. And this is really a famous scene here. This is like a who are these type of scene, you know? We can see Isaac with all those 12 boys in front of him and saying to Jacob, who are these? Who are these? And then we can imagine Jacob responding by saying, oh, you know, these are my sons from a strange land, you know, a banana, and I present them to you. And we can see this classic picture. Who are these? And then they respond, these are my sons from a strange land. And it's happening now between Isaac and Jacob. As we look at that, we can see this classic scene is going to repeat itself. Uh, only this time, it's going to be when Jacob comes into Egypt and he sees the two sons of Joseph. He's never seen them before. And he's going to say, who are these? And then it's going to be his son Jacob who's going to say, well, you know, these are my sons from a strange land. I'll present them to you. And all that's going to happen in Genesis 48, verse 8. Genesis 48, verse 8, where it says, and Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, they are my sons whom God hath given to me in this place, Egypt. And Jacob, so Jacob's asking the classic question, who are these? Instead of saying, well, these are my sons from a strange land, he says, these are my sons from this place. And as we think of that, we can replay that scene in heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ brings us to the father. And what does it say he's gonna do in Matthew 10, 32? Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before man, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. So when he confesses us before the Father, we can imagine the Father saying, and who are these? And the Lord Jesus is going to say, Father, these are my sons from a strange land. I'm glad they could confess them before you. You know, this is Jack over here. Eh? Oh, Father, you're saying, Jack, he was really faithful to me at work. All his co-workers shunned him made his life miserable because he witnessed to them about me. Oh, this is Judy. Oh, it's Judy over here. She was faithful to me. You know what she did, Father? She stayed in a really difficult marriage to a lost person because she knew we hated divorce. And so all this is going on when we look at Hebrews 2.13, Hebrews 2.13, where it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's the Lord Jesus saying to the Father, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, which is what he said in John 6, 39. This is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Same language here with Joseph. He says to his father, 
Jacob in, the, in, in, in Egypt. And, and, and these are my sons whom God had given to me in this place. We can see this classic picture of who are these played out for us before the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come with our spiritual sons and daughters, as Paul described, we got in a strange land. It's strange down here. Anyway, and because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul said, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. See, to those that he brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul called himself their spiritual father. And the world says to believers, just leave other people alone. Just leave them alone. If you want to be a chaplain at most hospitals, you got to go through this instruction and you're told, don't try to convert anyone. Just find out what they believe and then just affirm them in what they believe, which is why I'm not a chaplain. But that's not what God tells us to do. He says in Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. See, we're told to be a tree of life, a tree that gives life to others. And just to make it clear, what does that mean? A tree of life? He says, well, that's winning souls. That's wise. A tree of life is a soul winner. He wins souls from hell to heaven. He wins souls from darkness to light. He wins souls from despair to hope, from sadness to happiness. All that's encompassed in this word, winning souls from death to life. Because he's a tree of life. He makes dead souls come to life through the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. One of the greatest soul winners was John the Baptist. And he's described in Luke 1.16, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord your God. He's my hero, by the way. He's who I want to emulate. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. John the Baptist turned many of the Jewish people to the Lord their God. That's why in many cases, many cases, after I've told some situation and told about some situation in their lives, and I say to Jewish people, you know what you need? I don't, I don't even say Jesus. I don't even say the Lord Jesus Christ. I just say you need God. You just need God. I tell my friends, you need God. Because they don't know who God is. God is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the first step is you need God. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know that. Last week I was talking to an Israeli friend who's this, I told you about him before, he's this devout Hasidic rabbi. And he told me, he said, you know, he's mysterious, you know, he always does this. You know, he says, you have Yiddishkeit. He says, you have Yiddishkeit. And he says, and you need to follow more Yiddishkeit. He says, Yiddishkeit means uh, Jew, it's Yiddish, Jewish thinking, Jewish thinking or Jewish customs manner. I don't know what it means. It means Jewishness, you know. <laughs> anyway, and, and so I, you know, I told him, you know, it's got mysterious back with him. I said, well, you know, I said, you have Yiddishkeit. I told him, I said, you are full of Yiddishkeit. I told him that, you know. And I said, but you need something else. I said, you need Mashiachkeit. <laughs> Mishak is Messiah. I said, you need Messiah kite, you know. I said, you need Adonai kite. You need God kite, you know. And Because I told him, if you had Mashiach kite, he liked that Mashiach kite. Oh, yes, I like oh, anyway. I said, if you had Mashiach kite and Adonai kite, then you would see that Jesus is God. Oh, he gets all excited about that. And anyway, because, and I said, and you might have to leave a little Yiddish kite. Right. Because Yiddish kite, Jewishness, has as its core position, Jesus is not God. You know, Jews don't agree on many things, most things. One thing they all agree on, a Jew is not a Christian. So I told him that Yiddishkeit is in opposition to Mashiachite. 
in Chattanaikait. Uh, you know, we always have these interesting conversations. We try to convert each other. Well, th- this was John the Baptist. He turned many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He turned them from Yiddishkeit to Mashiachkeit or Adonaikite. And that matter of soul winning or, or making spiritual children, that's important. And James talks about that in James 5.20. He says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way, he shall save a soul from death and shall hide or cover a multitude of sins. See, we're told now, if we convert a sinner from the error of his way, what's the error of his way? Oh, one characteristic about the way of a sinner, and where it's told in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The way of a sinner, the way, one thing you know about the way of a sinner, it seems right to him. That's how the way of the sinner is described. It's right, it's right, seems right, okay. Most sinners we encounter, when we first meet them, they think their way is right. That's why it takes time of giving to truth, little by little, building from truth to truth for the sinner to see that what the Bible says about his way in Proverbs 14, 12, the way, uh, at the end thereof is the ways of death. It's the way that ends in death. Most people think that they, that they got some fault, but overall, pretty good. And, uh, but that's the way of death. That's the way that ends in death and pain and suffering forever in eternity because they don't know the truth of, of, of Romans 3.23. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. They don't know their sin is, is more than enough to condemn them to pay in hell, an eternal state of death. They don't know Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. They don't know that. They don't know that God's offering them the free gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. They don't know the truth of Isaiah 64, 6. So we're all as an unclean thing. We think, we don't think we're not unclean. We think we're pretty nice. You know, we take a shower every day. So, you know, what's unclean, right? But they know God says all is an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If fate is a leaf, or iniquity is like the wind, carry us, taking us away. They don't know that when God looks on them, he sees some uncleanness. They think God's going to be happy they've done in their life. He's actually repulsed. And that's why it takes little by little of building these truths in them. And we're told in James that when we do that, we save a soul from death. We accomplish a hiding of a multitude of sins. The Kippur happens, the real Kippur, what we call the Creation Museum, the Kippur Olam, the forever Kippur, not the Yom Kippur, just for the day, because it's under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect covering. All right, so now from verse 27, we learn Jacob comes to Isaac. And next verse, we have this, we're, we're getting close to, to the end here of, of uh, Isaac's life when it talks about in verse 28, the days of Isaac were 104 score years. I mean, this is the time to just encapsulate Isaac's life on earth. And uh, he's going to say farewell. Isaac's going to say goodbye. And Isaac's now looking to his life above. You know, I loved what my middle son Joseph did, said, we're all standing around the bed when Cheryl died. Cheryl took her last breath. We're all silent. It's such a solemn moment, you know. Nobody knew what to say. You know, Joseph just breaks the silence with this loud, have a safe journey, Mom. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> just the exact moment of verse 29. See, verse 29, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people. And, and there's that moment when a believer gives up the ghost, you know, the, the apnea, and they breathe the last breath on earth and he's gathered to his people. See? And that's just a momentous time. Same momentous time 
this transfer from one place to another. When a baby is born, leaves his mother's womb, breathes his first breath, and what do we say? Welcome, we should say welcome. Welcome to earth. Yeah. Like my friends, Jason and Krista, they just had their first baby. And it's all exciting, you know, to be with them before the baby's born. And then, you know, all the texting during it all, you know. And he, oh, he's got an app, you know, how many contractions. And anyway, and uh, there's an app for that. Anyway, and so, you know, and then, you know, it, and it happened. The baby's born, he's right there, and he just says, oh, the wonderful part, wonderful part. Welcome to earth. You know, and so verse 29 is Isaac's getting his welcome to heaven, gathered to his people. All right, it's described here, the days of Isaac, were in verse 28, were 104 score years. Now, normally, you wouldn't put something like that that way, right? You'd say, normally, you'd say, the years of Isaac were 180 years, right? That's normal, and because the issue is clearly years, but the verses tell us how many years he lived there. He says he lived 180 years. Okay, right, fine, so logic tells you Keep the first part of the system with the second part of the sentence, right? Isn't that what you would say, Gene? You're always correcting everything. So, It's so purposeful here that Isaac's life is described, his years are described in terms of days. God is redirecting our thoughts with this statement here. The days of Isaac's uh, were 180 years. Doesn't make sense to put it that way. Isaac's life, but he's saying this this way because he's driving the point here. Isaac's life was made of individual days. And that's what God wants us to see from this verse, that Isaac's life was made up of individual days because that's what God wants to see about our lives. Our lives are made up of individual days. And our years are only the collection of individual days, but the emphasis is days. Each day is a daily challenge like in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, a daily challenge. Are you going to rejoice evermore? Are you going to pray without ceasing? In every, are you going to everything you give thanks? That's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Each day is a series of daily challenges. Challenges that we have to give ourselves. There are six challenges. Maybe, I don't know. I, I say there's six. Maybe, maybe. Okay, the first challenge of the day is, will I start today? with meeting with God in the Bible, in prayer, and by committing myself to God and asking him to use me today. That's a challenge, okay? How am I start today? Ask yourself the question, how'd you start today? How'd you start yesterday? For tomorrow, will you start tomorrow? Meeting with God in the Bible, prayer, committing myself to God, and asking him to use me. That's the first challenge. Second challenge, will I be happy today? Will I be happy today in the Lord? No matter what happens, am I going to rejoice evermore? Will I be happy today? Third challenge, third challenge. Will I get my prayer engine going in the morning and not let it die during the day, no matter what happens? Am I going to pray without ceasing? Fourth challenge. Will I thank God today for everything that happens to me? Fifth challenge. Will I look for how God wants to use me today as his ambassador in the life of someone else. Am I going to look for that? Am I going to see it? And then I'm going to grab it. And the sixth challenge, last challenge, will I, before I go to sleep, take time at the end of the day by looking back on the day and seeing the hand of God and giving him thanks? See, that's a lot to do. That's a lot to do in each day. I mean, to make, just to make a checklist of those six challenges and strive to be able to check them off 
for each day. That takes all the energy we got for the day. But that's how God wants us to lead our lives. That's how he wants to order our lives, one day at a time. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we lose that focus of each day, and we get over-consumed and overwhelmed with worrying about the future beyond our day. And the Lord said, don't do that in Matthew 6.31. Matthew 6.31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles and nations seek those. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, he's saying, look, sufficient is enough already. Sufficient unto the day of the six daily challenges. First, Bible, with a prayer of commitment, a request to be used. Second, rejoicing. Third, unbroken prayer. Fourth, being thankful. Fifth, being an ambassador. Sixth, look back and giving him thanks. See, God said, that's what our day should be consumed with and not consumed with trying to meet our long-term needs and worried about it. I told you that when I started to make uh, annual and sometimes twice a year trips to Japan back in 1982, you know, business, I really didn't expect to get any business from Japan. I just wanted the opportunity to use the business to bring the gospel to Japanese scientists and businessmen. So for over 10 years, I did that. And I would always search around for new products or new services to, that I could offer in Japan, something that was new that I didn't think they knew about. And it had no business at all in Japan. They were kind of amused with me. You know? But I was satisfied each day because through the what they call after five meetings, after 5 p.m. meetings, at dinners and at lunches, I had many opportunities to bring the gospel to many Japanese scientists and businessmen, and I was fulfilled. That fulfilled me. And then in 1990s, our business in Japan, it just exploded. It's now, you know, almost 20% of our total revenues. And that became a lesson for me of Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be, all these, all these business opportunities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Japan, and all these business opportunities in Japan will be added to you. And the reason the Japanese gave me, the reason why they gave for what gave me a lot of business, because I wondered, you know, is because I kept coming every year, we had no business, and then they said, well, we came because uh, this showed loyalty. They said loyalty. Only thing is, it confused me because they called it royalty. <laughs> I thought, what royalty, you know? Anyway, the royalty. But I finally got it right because in Osaka, I'd always stay at the Royal Hotel, and they called that the Loyal Hotel. So then I understood. But I was trying to show loyalty. I was trying to show loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And bringing them the gospel, they saw it as loyalty to themselves, which in a sense it was true. I was being loyal to them also to bring them the words of life. That's why it's so important for us to see the emphasis on days in verse 28 when describing the 180 years. Isaac's life was not about 180 years. It was about 65,700 days in the 180 years. If we live to be 85 years, our life will not be about the 85 years of our life. It's going to be about the 30,940 days of our life. And you can count that. It'll take you about four hours, and then you'll count off every day of your life on earth.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.